we're walking through First Peter. We're walking through First Peter, and what I love about First Peter, um, I was talking with another pastor, and we're thinking about how much we, we, you know, we choose to go through a book. You know, we think we know what it's going to be about, and we do. But it's not until you're actually going through it that you think, man, I love First Peter. You know, it's great. Uh, it's applicable. It's relevant. It's so deeply theological, and he prepares you with such rich theology to start uh, thinking about practical things and. This week, he's really starting to think about what, is, what does this look like in practice. And this week, the, what he, the point that he wants to drive home, what he wants the, his believers, the people that were reading this at the time when they were living under the shadow of the Roman Empire, his point for them was, I want you to go home. He's talking about living a holy life, right? Living a holy life. God has saved you to be holy. You're going to go out there. You're going to live a holy life. Now, here's the first point of application I want you to think about. They're like, man, what's going to come up? You know, he's going to tell us how to do our devotions every day. He's going to tell us, you know, evangelize, you know, talk to people. And the first big point of application he gives them is honor the emperor. Like if this letter was written today and he told you, honor your president. Some of you start squirming immediately, right? Well, compare the president to the Roman emperors of their day. Not the easiest pill to swallow. You, you might say, well, I, I didn't vote him in. I voted for the other guy. You know? They're thinking there wasn't even a vote. <laughs> this, this guy's a jerk. He kills people at will. They're like, hey, about that country? Let's take them over and, and enforce Roman rule. Honor that guy. The, the guy that, that thinks he's God? Doesn't that make you angry, God? The emperor calls himself God. He wants people to refer to him as God. Treat him as he's God, not royalty. Like if he's God himself, honor him. Well, honor must mean, you know, just don't say anything negative. No, that means more than that. It means more than that. When I think about how this might be relevant to to us as a church, I thought, I don't know, what are ways in which our own government in this country might give us pause and think twice about following their orders, following, with, you know, obeying them, submitting to them, this government? I don't know. I thought of situations where you might be asked to do something that you're not comfortable with and you'd have to think in the moment, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't serve you. I serve the real God. So you can go home with that. Do we pull that card out immediately? Is there, is there a filter? And I think about uh, the classrooms where um, actually a couple years ago it happened in our own school district. And it, there was a culture celebration day. And in this particular day, they pulled out some stuff about uh, India, and they started talking about Hinduism. And they said, there's a particular dance that they dance to the god of Shiva. Here's what the dance looks like. Come on, all the kids, come on up to the front, and we're going to do this dance to Shiva. Well, some of the Christian kids were like, I don't know what to do right here. Do I get up and dance? Am I not going to get a good grade? Or am I going to get in trouble with the teacher? And so my daughter and some of her friends just kind of, sat there and didn't participate. They didn't get in trouble, and some of the Christian parents complained, but that's the issue, right? We're your authority. We're your teacher, and we tell you, do this for this grade. Where do you draw the line and not do it for the grade? Well, we should know. But the answer can't be, well, just completely disregard your teachers. Because they would make you do that, don't do anything they say. 
Don't do the homework. Don't show up. Walk in late. Who cares? They're obviously pagans, you know. Well, no, that's not the answer. There's authority there. I think of uh, someone who may be a Christian and works in a government job. And working in that government job, you know that the rule is you cannot evangelize in this workplace. Say you're a social worker. You can help them. You can ask questions. If they ask you about your faith, you can very quickly tell them what you are. But don't turn this into a small group session. Get on with what we're supposed to supply them, what you're supposed to do for them as a social worker. But don't get into this evangelism thing. And then a moment presents itself. You know that's the rule. And a moment presents itself where they're crying, they're reaching out, and you know what they need right now in, the moment, in this moment, in this office, is the gospel. You know that's what they need. But your government authority says, don't do it. Not here. Do you do it? Do you not do it? What's the rule? It's just the, a pagan government. What do they know? We're supposed to be about the eternal things. You pay your taxes because you're a good citizen. And you remember that Jesus said, render to Caesar what Caesar's and render to God what's God. Like, don't stop paying your taxes. Paul, uh, Paul brings that up in Romans 13. But then you find out, you're reading an internet article, and they find out, man, there's four or five ways that the government actually, through loops and back holes, actually uses the tax money to, in some way or another, direct or indirect, fund abortion clinics. And in your mind, you go, man, there's a connection between the money that I give the government and the murder of babies that's happening. Do you stop giving? The government mandates, pay your taxes. Do you supersede that and go, yeah, but I don't serve you. Peter says, no, pay your taxes. There's a strong word that even though the emperor might be a jerk, he's not a Christian by any means. He's not even Christian-like. He's not like the typical American president. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, hand on the Bible. Yeah, 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 Christian, Christian, right, right. No, not even a claim for Christianity. Total, total opposite. Honor him. We'll see that in 1 Peter, a very uncomfortable passage if we think about it. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up and we'll throw one at you. Um, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're looking at 13 to 17, that little paragraph right there. He's just finished talking about living as holy people, uh, not giving into your passions. You live different than the world lives. You're different than the world. He keeps reminding them, you're exiles, you're strangers, you don't belong here. Your citizenship is in heaven. Your citizenship isn't really here, not truly here. You actually belong somewhere else, and you're living as a sojourner. You're living as an exile, and uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 2, verse 11. He keeps reminding them of that. You don't belong here. Live the way you're supposed to live. Live the way your heavenly Father, your celestial authority, your spiritual, your true authority, live the way He says you're supposed to live. Don't worry about the way the world lives. Now, people might come away from that and go, okay, well, it doesn't matter. If a cop throws the lights behind me, pff, 
Is he a believer? Because I serve the true God. No, pull over. He says in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God. So we'll pause there for a second because there's a lot there to ingest. But I love how Peter, you remember Peter, right, when you read the Gospels? Was he the softy, the soft-spoken kind of pushover guy? No, he's the punch-you-in-the-face guy, right? He's the pull-out-the-sword-and-hack-off-your-ear, what-are-you-doing-touching-my-savior guy. He's the Jesus, let me rebuke you and teach you for a minute guy, okay? So Peter is not writing with the sort of, hey, guys, you know, just what do you think? He uses strong words. Be subject. Right, how would you, how'd you feel if uh, somebody came to the church, they're a visitor, and I said, oh, how are you doing? My name is Lucas, and these are my subjects. You'd be like, you're what? We know what subject means. It means someone's the boss and calling the shots, and you do what they say. They say jump, you ask how high. That's what a subject does. Well, what does the Greek say? It's translated well, right? Be subject. I'll be subject to whom? That's our next excuse. Well, okay, we can't read the fine subject. Can we pick and choose who we're subject to? Be subject to every human institution. Okay, we got to unpack that a little bit. I'll admit, because what does that mean? Every human institution. Um, does that mean every single person I come in contact with? No, he means authority. He means governing authority. Authority from the government. And, you know, I, I hate to do this, but if you do, if you do realize that some different translations have different wordings for that, Maybe you're sitting there right now, you have the NIV or you have something else, and it doesn't say human institution, it has something else. It's because it's a tricky couple of words that they're trying to wrestle with there when they're translating it. The actual wording is to be subject to every, human, to every uh, creature. To every creature. Well, we know that doesn't make sense. Well, I'm walking and I'm going to pick up a stick, but... A raccoon is fighting me for the stick. Well, sorry, raccoon. Let me be subject to, you're a creature. Let me be subject to the creature. You know, be subject to your kids. Be subject to your mechanic, you know. Mechanic says I got to buy a van. Ah, I wanted a truck. Well, I got to be subject to him, right? Then you get to the lot and he's like, don't buy this one, buy that one. Got to be subject to the salesperson. That's horrible, right? We know that's not what it means. So obviously there needs to be some defining here. Why does it say creature? Well, Peter is not using the word creature to say everything that lives, everything that's been created, what he's saying is those people that have been uh, established by God for humans. So when he says, when it's translated, to every human institution, it's not every institution that humans come up with. He means every institution that God comes up with for the sake of humans. Peter's emphasis, this God that's over all things, this God that, that is creator, he's king of kings, he's Lord of lords, name above all names, everything is beneath him, every person is lower than him, everything in the end ultimately serves his own purpose. He's not saying surrender to them because there's, 
like God is one of your bosses, but there's other bosses. No, God is king over all, and he's the one that instituted them for humans. Who's them? The governing authorities. How do we know that? Because he gives examples, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, top of the pyramid in their day, the emperor, or the people that the emperor sends. You go, hey, you're not the emperor. I'm not listening to you. Yeah, I was sent by the emperor, so do it. Peter's saying, right, follow him. Follow that person. Be subject to that person, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Be subject. That means obedience. That's what a subject does. A subject obeys. So he's saying obey those authorities. And it's, (laughs) in some ways, couldn't have picked a more debased, immoral government in the history of the world to ask Christians to be subject to. They're less than a generation away of being officially persecuted, hung up on stakes, lit up like torches to give light to the emperor's parties, fed to lions, torn in half, pulled apart, hung, staked. That government, the government that hates Christianity, the government that wants to stamp out Christianity, the government that blames Christians for everything. Sound familiar? Are we on some weird trajectory where, well, Muslims could do it, and they're like, wow, Muslims are great, but if a Christian does it, you're an idiot. Is that a a new trajectory? No, history, folks. But he says to be subject to that government. Even if it's hostile towards Christianity, you're subject to that government. That helps us to remember that they're instituted not by themselves. They're instituted by God himself. And then I, it's, it even makes it I don't know, more strict when he makes it clear that you're not subject to them based on their character. You're not choosing who to be subject to based on how much they match up to Christianity or not. No, no. You're subject to governing authorities based on two things. First is their position. God has put them there. We learned that in verse 1. That's why the the word institution is used. Second, because of their purpose, which we get in verse 14. He says, the emperor is supreme, be subject to him, or be subject to the governors that the emperor sends. Why? Why does he send people? Why does the government put people in positions to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good? That's basically what government is there for. This is why God raises up governors and raises up presidents and raises up kings. Even though you might go, God, why did you choose that guy? Why did you let him get to office? But governing structures are there for praise and punishment. To keep evil in check and to promote welfare. Even, even secular folk, even atheists will tell you, yeah, government's a good idea for that end. That's why it's there. Peter says, oh, that's exactly why God puts it there. He puts it there so that people would, be, would think twice about doing evil because they're going to be punished and that people would put efforts into doing good because that's what the society is going to praise as right and good. It's not based on the character of the people in position. It's not based on their spiritual track record. 
He's got three divorces. I'm not listening to him. He's got, you know, he cheated on, he's cheating on his wife right now. I saw it on Twitter. I'm not listening to him. Not based on their character, not based on their track record, not based on their faith. I'm not saying when you go to the voting booth, vote for the non-Christians. I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we can't use it as an excuse to go, oh, they're not Christian. So what business do you have telling me? He has every business. Because whether he believes it or not, you're supposed to understand that he's there because God allowed him to be there. And governing structures are there because God put them there. So be subject. Obey. And if it was any confusion, any like a Peter, I mean, come on, man. Is this just like your hobby horse? Is this verse 15? For this is the will of God. This is what I want you to do. This is God's will. God's will for you to be subject to the government. It is God's will for you to obey governing authorities, regardless of where they're from, regardless of how much you you like them or what their approval rating is. You are subject to them, not because it's their will. Of course, it's their will. You're subject to them because it's God's will. And that's what a Christian does. This is God's will. And what's the result that can come out of it? That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He doesn't mean foolish like all the governing people are idiots, like they're dumb. You might think, you know, a lot of our politicians, you know, they're, they're from Ivy League schools, but then sometimes they say things and you're like, I don't understand. How are they smart enough to, to be a leader? But that's not what he's talking about. He means foolish like when you read the book of Proverbs, foolish. That the foolish person is a person that doesn't fear God. Well, Peter's recognizing that most of the people in governing positions authoritative positions they're fools not fools because they're uneducated or fools because they're dumb fools because they don't fear god and many of these folks whether in government positions or or just in the world are going to ridicule christianity we've seen this over and over again he's addressing a group of people that are mocked ridiculed insulted reviled for their faith and he's saying in fact Being subject and obeying the government is one way to shut the mouths of those that say Christians, they just do whatever they want. They don't care about anybody. They don't care about the homeless. They don't care about the poor. They talk about love, but they actually don't love anybody in the world. We should be able to go, actually, if you pound for pound, nobody does more for the helpless in the world than Christians. We should be able to say that. I think we can say that. What Peter's saying is we're supposed to be able to use that as a way to show them, hey, all this smack talk about Christians doesn't really match up with what we're actually seeing Christians doing. And it's hard to do that if at every turn we're bucking the system, breaking laws, getting arrested all the time because we don't respect police officers, we don't respect laws, we don't respect speed limits, we don't respect governors, mayors, we just do whatever we want because I serve a God. That's one step closer to Waco. Why don't we all just move to Jonestown? Because we don't listen to any government. Send us a congressman. We'll shoot him. We don't care. That's crazy, right? Well, we're just a couple steps removed from that if we don't swallow this verse. Be subject to your authority. If they want to come in and, and, and look at what you guys are about, what you're doing, let them come in and investigate. Be subject to your authorities. Because it's God's will and foolish accusations might be proven to be ignorant if we stay the course 
and obey. Now, it's really tempting to, to say our heavenly citizenship overrides our earthly obligations. That's true. But it's an excuse, a bad excuse, to use our heavenly citizenship to disregard our earthly obligations. I don't have to do that because I'm a citizen of heaven. You know, like it's the trump card you pull out every time. Well, because God. Well, because God. That's why they think we're, like, dumb. You know, we're always... We don't think about issues. We don't talk about issues. We don't talk about what makes sense. We don't, we don't, we don't talk on their playing field. We pull out the God card all the time. God, because the God, you know, we quote like a King James version of the Old Testament. And like, because it says Leviticus, wow. It's not even a conversation they can even have. And it's a false excuse. Listen to what he says. Live as people who are free. Free from what? Were you free from the government? You're not a slave to the government. You're not a slave to people. You're not a slave to the things that they're enslaved to. If I'm obeying a governing authority who's a fool, who doesn't believe in God, he's still enslaved to sin. I've been free. He should be listening to me. I'm the free one. Because no, 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 you're free. But listen to what he says. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So we go, I don't have to listen to governing authorities anymore. Because I'm a servant, I'm a slave of the capital G governor of the universe. True, but then take it to the next step. What does this governor of the universe want you to do? Obey them. Okay. We don't buck the system here using this as an excuse when God himself is the very one telling you, obey them. And so Peter's like, you know, you are heavenly citizens and you are foreigners. You don't belong here. But you are going to obey those human institutions, those governments instituted by God for humans, because I said so. Because I'm the one that raises up kings and makes kingdoms rise and fall. I'm the one that holds the king's hearts in my hand and I steer them where I want them to go. That's Proverbs. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but at the end of the day... Whose decision is it for things to go a certain way? God's. So God is sovereign over them. And even though I may not like what they're doing or how they're doing it or the way they're thinking, I know I serve this higher authority that's telling me, don't skip them, stay underneath. I don't know if this really works, but uh, sometimes if I'm going to be away for a minute, I'll leave one of the older kids in charge of the younger kids. And what I tell them is, younger kids, I know you know I'm actually in charge, not your older sibling. While I'm gone, that older sibling is my representative. If they tell you to do something, don't do this and do that, you do it. But what if they're telling me to do something? They're just using me like slaves. They didn't do any work and they made me do all of it. Then be the slave. When I come back, if you have a complaint about how that older brother or older sister wielded their authority, then you complain to me when I come back. But when I come back, I find out that you guys were fighting and throwing things at each other because you thought they were not wielding their authority properly. You're not old enough to make that decision. Obey your older sibling, and when I come back, then talk to me about your complaints. Now, God is like, I'm going to come back one day. My son is going to come back, and he's going to wrap everything up. Government official. 
still every mayor, every president, every congressman, congresswoman, every senator, they're all going to be accountable to Jesus Christ. But I don't want to come back and find out that you guys were a bunch of pains in the necks because you didn't obey the people that I decided to allow them to be in those positions. Let me deal with the fallout. Let me deal with justice and wrath and avenging. You guys just follow along and submit. Now we have to ask the question, are there any exceptions? Is there ever a case where the governing authority says, do this and you're not supposed to do it? Yes. Maybe not as often as we'd like to think, but of course there are exceptions. If you look at verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. That's the key defining trait. Ultimately, I'm a servant of God. You think back to verse 13. He says, be subject to every human institution. What did I just skip? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. I obey the government as long as I can obey the government for the Lord's sake, to the glory of God. When the obedience to the government is simultaneously disobedience to God, that's when, it, that's when you draw the line. Now, we're talking about clear revelation in Scripture that this is what God wants. So it's not, you know, sort of third or fourth tier interpretationals, kind of fuzzy issues where, no, I really feel like God, you know, wants me to, you know, do this very specific thing, and so I'm not going to listen to the government. It's God's will for me to drive 80. The sign says 65. I I have a direct line, priesthood of all believers. I believe God believes I'm a safe driver you think that's silly I, I, I was in a youth group once and two of the kids came up to us we really prayed about it and we feel like God has given us permission to sleep together before marriage I mean we know his normal rule but for us we've really prayed about it I was looking for the scripture is there is there a way to like backslap backslap a kid like dude no So we obey governing authorities until that obedience is asking us to disobey clear stipulations, clear dictates, clear commands from God himself. At that point, you just deal with the government fallout because you don't want to deal with God's wrath on that position. So we obey the government until it requires us to disobey God. Verse 13 is, um, not 13, verse uh, 17. It gives us four statements. And I'm going to try to break this down uh, briefly in a way that I thought was helpful to me. Four statements, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. All right, so when you kind of put on the lenses for studying the Bible and you start getting some... Uh, getting used to seeing how things flow and work together, you might think, okay, there's four statements here, and they're both real short. They kind of sound like they, it's, 
it's intentionally four little short, succinct statements. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. The first one starts with honor, and the last one starts, uh, says honor. So it's kind of like brackets. The first and the fourth, they kind of sound similar. So there's something happening here in this verse that's different than everything else. Four little statements. Everything else is like here and comma, kind of like run-on sentences, right? This is boom, 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 boom. So you get a sense that there's something happening here. And it's debated about what exactly it means. I'm going to give you my, uh, my understanding of what's going on here. Why is Peter doing this? I think there's two bracket statements like bookends and then two statements in the middle that belong together. The two on the ends belong together and the two in the middle belong together. The two on the ends belong together because they both say honor. They both use the word honor and they also belong together because they have to do with the world. Honor everyone means honor your teacher, honor your, um, again, governing authorities, not honor your yoga instructor, honor your, your baker, you know. So you can go honor your barista when they tell you, have a nice day. Ah, I was going to have a bad day, but now the barista said, and I have to obey the, no, governing authorities, right? Governing authorities, honor them. That's how he starts. And then he ends with honor the emperor, the person at the top, at the top of the pyramid. So that's why those two statements belong together. Now stay with me because I think this is helpful. The middle two statements are about your specific Christianity. The first middle statement is love the brotherhood. Guys, be unified in this. Love each other in this. Help each other with this. You guys can't do this well if you're not together. If you're divided all the time, fighting all the time. Remember when Paul's like, why are you guys suing each other? The world does that. Don't sue each other. The guy thinks you owe him a coat. Give him two coats. Who cares? Isn't it better to maintain unity? Yes, it's better to maintain unity than take people to court that are your own brother or sister in Christ. And so Peter's picking up on that kind of thought. Just love each other. Love the brotherhood. Fear God fear God. Why am I doing this? Why am I obeying? The officer pulled me over and asked me to step out, and I have a sense that he's like racially profiling me, and I feel really offended. Obey still. Just get out. Turn around. Do the thing. Just Maybe it's humiliating. People are driving by. Isn't that the pastor of Christian folks? You know? <laughs> this didn't happen. I'm just kidding. Obey even when it's uncomfortable. Obey even when it's embarrassing. Obey, why? Because you fear the officer? No, because you fear God. So why does he have two statements about what, how you're supposed to respond to the world? Honor the government. And then two in the middle that talk about your brotherhood and fearing God, your father. Because that's what anchors these. The stuff in the middle of the sandwich. No one ever eats a sandwich for bread. You eat the sandwich for what's in between the slices of bread. And he's got these two brackets. Honor the people you're supposed to honor. Honor the emperor. And he puts in between there this brotherhood that we belong to and this need to fear God. Without that anchor, there is no, there is no ship, right? And without that meat in the middle, there is no sandwich. It's gone. But you can do these if you're rooted here in the middle. If you truly fear God, you'll understand that God is sovereign. God is over all things. And so we ask ourselves the tough questions. What do we do? What do we do when we are faced with difficult decisions? We are faced with dilemmas. At the risk of maybe getting in hot water with some of you might disagree, I figure, you know what, maybe that will be a great way to open up some discussion in our growth groups. 
or maybe after church, if you see me push shoved into a corner and someone's going like that, you know, it's probably a result of this. No, that never happens here. But I thought, of what are some examples? You're a government official. You work for the government. The government tells you, you cannot share Christ in this office while you're on the clock. You punch in, you punch out. In between those two punch cards, you don't share the gospel. Obey or disobey? Obey. You're on their time. It's their job. You can get another job, but you signed up for that job. Do what they said. Now, the government tells you, don't ever share the gospel anywhere in any context whatsoever. Now you can't do Matthew 28, and that's a problem. So you could tell somebody, listen, I'm not only a social worker. There are other things that I do that I can't tell you about here, but if you meet me at some other place, you know, you can try to use your imagination to get out of the context in which you're not allowed to do it. But don't sign a contract that says, oh, yes, I understand the rules. I will follow the rules. Pagan. No, follow the rules or quit. Be subject. But if a law comes out, don't ever hand anybody any literature that says anything about Jesus anywhere. Off the clock, on the clock, wherever you are, doesn't matter. Don't do it. No, you do it. Because of Matthew 28 and other verses that tell us that's what we're supposed to do. We are in a situation where, let's say, the state of Illinois passes law and says, you know what, no more Christian symbols. We're sick of the Merry Christmas. We're sick of the, we're sick of the nativity scenes. Let's just go whole hog. No more steeples, no more crosses. You can't say Christian Fellowship Church. Take that sign down. No symbol, no religious symbols, no ichthus, fish, none of this stuff. Take all the symbols down. Obey or not obey? Obey. There's not a scripture verse that says you have to have a cross on the top. When I go to Vietnam and I meet in these house churches, they don't have crosses in the front. Why? Because the government says not to have crosses in the front. Are they disobeying God? No, because they didn't find the verse that says, if you meet, you have to have a cross in the front. Otherwise, you know, you're not a church. No, that's, that's, that's us. We feel like we need specific pieces of furniture. Otherwise, it's not a holy place. But if a stipulation comes out and they say, you're not allowed to meet for worship. You're not allowed to meet for teaching. You're not allowed to meet for uh, reasons of uh, gathering around a discussion of Jesus Christ. You're not allowed to meet to sing songs. Obey or disobey? Disobey. Because Scripture clearly mandates that Christians get together wherever you're able to get together. In a sewer, in a cave, in a barn. It doesn't matter where you meet, right? And some Christians throughout the history of the world have, have had to meet in some nasty places. But they meet together because Scripture mandates that they meet together. I don't want to take Christian symbols down, and I hope that we're not as close to that as I feel that we are. But we need to be clear on what Scripture is clear on and stick to that. Otherwise, we're subject to what our governing authorities say. You're an intern, you're a medical intern, and um, the uh, whoever's in charge of your internship tells you, you have to intern at an abortion clinic and assist the doctor in administering abortions. 
obey or disobey. Well, if you believe that abortion is murder and the Bible says don't murder, you disobey that. Get an internship somewhere else or switch careers. That's better than participating in something you know God is clearly revealing in his word is wrong. However, if you pull up some articles that talk about the way in which the government is routing funds to pay for abortions, do you stop paying taxes? No. You pay your taxes. But what about what they're doing? Leave it to God. And we get that clear. Romans 13, Jesus, give to Caesar what Caesar's. Well, what's Caesar doing with this stuff? Do we approve it as a Christian or not? You're not going to win that one. Not with Caesar. It was under that government that they crucified Jesus. Where did they get the money to pay for these soldiers and these centurions that beat Jesus and flogged Jesus, punched Jesus in the face, hung him up on the cross? Where did they get the money to pay for those guys? Taxes. And Jesus said, pay it, pay it, pay it. You own a business. And the government tells you, as a business, you cannot turn away customers because they're gay. Obey or disobey. I know I say this at risk with some wrinkled brows and stuff, but obey. Obey. It's not a church. You have to ask yourself, how, where do I draw the line? If I turn down gay customers, but I welcome a couple that's living together. I turn down gay couples, but if a couple comes in, that the main thing that they have together is they administer drugs to each other. Serve them? Have someone hire someone at the door, every customer that comes in, before the bell goes, cling, cling, right? You just have them with a clipboard. Uh, hold on a second. We're just going to run down the Ten Commandments, and if you habitually break them, we can't serve you. Sorry. Where, where, where do we end? Now, when the government turns to the church, it's not a business, but to the church, and says this whole sanctity of marriage thing, you need to redefine that. Because when a couple comes and asks you, and they're same-sex couple, and they ask you to marry them, you need to do it. Obey or disobey. Disobey. They're asking us to redefine marriage. That's different than serving rigatoni to a couple at a restaurant. So we have to not use our citizenship in heaven as an excuse to disobey at every corner. Now, we can complain, write letters, vote according to our values. We can use the system itself to try to put people in charge that are going to do things according to the values that we think are going to actually bring welfare to a society. Of course. But when a law is passed and the government has given you a mandate, unless it clearly contradicts a clear mandate from Scripture, you do it. You do it. Why? Because God is over them. And if you fear God, you'll do what He commands. And one of His commands is be subject to the government.